This is patient care theory two, unit 11, part two. Let's, uh, we finished off with hyperglycemia. Let's talk about hyperglycemia, something we don't encounter very often. We don't see many patients who are hyperglycemic. By far the most common diabetic emergencies we respond to are the hypoglycemic patients. And um, what's the incidence of hyperglycemia in um, IDDM versus NIDDM? And what, am I, what do I mean by IDDM by NIDDM? Insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus versus non-insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus. Good. So what's the incidence of hypoglycemia in the IDDM versus the NIDDM? Do you remember from last week's discussion? Yeah, you'd recognize it on a multiple choice test, wouldn't you? <laughs> That's what it is. C. Well, which one do you think uh, is more likely to become um, hypoglycemic? The insulin dependent, yeah, by far. So the incidence of hypoglycemia, like a hypoglycemic emergency and an NIDDM, very, very minuscule. I've only seen it a couple of times. And do you remember uh, in our discussion what might cause hypoglycemia in a NIDDM patient? Because it's not usually a case of, you know, exercise too much or, uh, took too much of the medication, unlike insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus. Uh, it has to do with drug interactions. I gave you a little teaser for pharmacology next semester. Okay, I'll give you a little bit more. It has something to do with the cytochrome P450 system. If you're gonna memorize anything about pharmacokinetics, like the breakdown of drugs, just remember the, the cytochrome P450 system. If you can regurgitate cytochrome P450 in a crowd of paramedics, a path will open and a light will shine from above on your gifted soul as you walk through the crowd. <laughs> well, maybe in your deluded mind, but Hello, I'm here, cytochrome P450. <laughs> Do you remember now? <laughs> okay, so the incidence of hypoglycemia in type two diabetics and specifically non-insulin dependent diabetics uh, is very, very low. And typically the only time you might see hypoglycemic patients in the NIDDM crowd is if they're on a new drug that occupies the same enzyme system as the liver. So it ties it up like the cytochrome P450 system. Um, so I'll give you an example. You're on metformin and gliburide and you've just been prescribed an antibiotic. The antibiotic gets metabolized by the same enzyme that your diabetic drugs get metabolized by. So as a consequence, your diabetic drugs become more bioavailability. There's more floating around the system for a longer period of time, and then you take more of the drug and it adds more. So it doesn't get metabolized as quickly because your cytochrome P450 system is busy metabolizing not just your diabetic meds, but also your antibiotic. You follow? Tori's looking at me like, oh, Rob, I have no idea what you're saying. Um, and so as a consequence, your diabetic drugs, the, the 
the levels of those diabetic drugs in your blood goes higher, which means your blood sugar goes lower. So, so the only time personally I've ever seen a hypoglycemic NIDDM patient is if they're on a new med. So if you get a, an NIDDM patient who's hypoglycemic, you've got to ask about, you know, have you started taking a new medication recently? And uh, so even if you, you know, raise their blood sugar by giving them uh, intravenous dextrose or you give them glucuron and they feel better, they don't want to go to the hospital, they should probably go anyway because they need to get their meds adjusted to compensate for that, the problem with um, uh, the new drug. Okay, enough about hypoglycemia. That's sort of a recap. Um, let's talk about hyperglycemia. <coughs> so, uh, presentation. So, hyperglycemia in insulin-dependent diabetes can lead to diabetic ketoacidosis, right? Because they can't process um, they can't process glucose, and as a consequence, they uh, develop ketones. So. Um, hyperglycemia is more of a chronic issue. Hypoglycemia happens quickly. Hyperglycemia takes time, usually days. Like uh, typically the hyperglycemic patient, the diabetic ketoacidosis patient is a patient who's had maybe um, an illness that's lasted four or five days or so. And uh, their eating regimen and their insulin regimen are out of whack. And um, they develop uh, uh, hyperglycemia and a ketoacidosis and you only see a ketoacidosis in insulin-dependent diabetics. In non-insulin-dependent diabetics and NIDDMs uh, because they're, they still uh, um, have some uh, insulin function they still have uh, they're able to regulate to some extent you'll see something called hyperosmolar hyperglycemic non-ketotic syndrome or HHNS in type 2 diabetics. So, uh, in diabetic ketoacidosis, it may be a result of the patient's not taking their insulin, uh, or there's increased cell resistance to insulin under the illness, and typically blood sugars will, will just register as quote-unquote high, and high is usually uh, 33 millimoles per liter or higher. Now, you can get a diabetic ketoacidosis with blood sugars in the teens, low teens even, especially in kids, but uh, if you see a patient um, uh, with a CBC that reads high, they're probably, probably hyperglycemic, and if they're insulin dependent, they're probably DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis. So, um, have you guys covered diabetes and patho yet? Sorry, no, not yet. When's that coming up? Oh, that's awesome. It's too bad, but it's awesome. Amazing timing. So um, with hyperglycemia, they typically get uh, polyuria, polydipsia, and polyphagia. Um, uh, so tell me what those terms mean. Yeah, increased urination. So they're putting out a lot of pee. Dipsia is increased thirst. Yeah, increased hunger for polyphagia. And if they're older, they have the fourth poly, which is polygrip. Right? So <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that, was, that was a good all-out laugh. I like that. Thanks. I'm going to call my daughter. I made a joke, and one of my students like laughed out loud. Like it wasn't even one of those groaner dad joke laughs. 
the <laughs> every year I wait for the opportunity to crack that joke in second semester. Um, dehydration is a prominent feature in um, hyperglycemia because if you've got high blood sugar, we tend to pee it out. And when you pee out sugar molecules, it takes water with it. So they pee and they pee and they pee and they pee and they become dehydrated, very dehydrated. And uh, oftentimes rehydrating them makes them feel quite a bit better. Uh, general weakness, lethargy, altered level of awareness, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, hypotension, reflex tachycardia. Why the hypotension? That's right, because they're peeing the volume out, right? They're losing volume. Yeah, it's not like a hemorrhagic hypovolemia, but it's a, it's a hypovolemia over a slower period of time, much longer period of time. It's volume depletion over a period of time, right? They dehydrate. Um, Nocturia, what's nocturia? Yeah, need to pee at night, right? Anyone have nocturia? It's probably TMI, I don't really wanna know, don't tell me. Um, weight loss. And fruity breath, ketones produce fruity breath. It's kind of a rotten fruit type breath. It's pretty foul smelling. Does anyone? What's that? Yeah, do, do you know anyone who's diabetic? No, okay. Yeah, it's not a pleasant smell. Um, diabetics get uh, ketones in their urine too. My grandfather used to have the smelliest pee. Not that I would go and smell his pee after he went to the toilet, but he was, uh, he was always wetting his pants at a time when they didn't even make Depends. That's how old I am. They didn't make diapers for adults back then. And uh, so he always stunk, like really stunk. Then he died. He stopped stinking after that. I don't know why I'm so dark. Just, uh, and they get Kuzmal's respiration, so deep rapid breathing. And this is the, why, why do you think they have Kuzmal's respirations? What's that? Yeah, Matt? To blow off acids, right. They have a ketoacidosis, so they're blowing off acids. Good, good. So you guys are gonna rock uh, diabetes next patho class. You know, it's like, yeah, Sean, we know this stuff. Just move on to, Move on to appendix. So what's the differential diagnosis for hyperglycemia? Uh, a whole bunch of things like methanol overdose, uh, methanol intoxication, methanol you might find in uh, cleaning solvents and uh, various other fluids, lactic acidosis, um, um, in renal dialysis patients, starvation acidosis, salicylate overdose, ASA overdose, right? Um, hyperosmolar hyperglycemic non-ketotic syndrome. So in terms of management, so you get this patient who's usually um, altered LOA, maybe a little agitated. Unlike hypoglycemics uh, who are, tend to be diaphoretic, have a fight or flight appearance to them, hyperglycemics tend to be very dry and their skin is very hot to touch because they're, they're losing fluids, which is like your car losing water from the radiator, your engine overheats, their body heats up. So they get high temperatures and dry skin, very warm skin. Uh, would protect the airway um, if you need to. NPA might be a better choice only because if, if you're able to start an IV and give fluids, they tend to perk up. And uh, so if, if you find them unresponsive um, and they get an OPA, they might uh, start to improve en route and gag on the OPA. So NPA might be a better choice. PPV, PRN, SPO2, O2, PRN. Cardiac monitor course and assess blood glucose and it'll typically register high. Start a line. 
Um, if they're hypotensive, we give a fluid bolus according to your directives. Um, but you give it slowly, you know, whereas in hemorrhagic shock, you might give 20 cc's per kilo over 15, 20 minutes. And when you've lost fluid slowly, replace it slowly. So if I was going to give 20 cc's per kilo, I would run it over probably a couple of hours, which means that if I'm traveling 10, 15 minutes to the hospital, I might get 300, 400 cc's in out of a, t a total of whatever 1400 you were trying to get in so I'm not in a big rush to get big quantities of fluids in especially in kids because uh, kids can develop um, cerebral edema and demyelination of their their nerves um, the insulins I'm not going to uh, I won't talk about the insulins uh, just review the slide on your own these are some of the common insulins I don't think there's a single question on the insulins um, but you should know basically what insulins do and that they're fast acting and, and uh, very fast acting and intermediate acting and long acting insulins. And um, there are a number of uh, diabetic medications. Uh, one of them I think that's missing from here is Jardiance, which is a fairly new drug. Uh, Jardiance um, is a drug that helps you pee out excess sugar. So um, metformin. Metformin is a pretty amazing drug. Um, is metformin up there? It was there? I just missed it? Oh, okay. Yeah, so metformin, it's interesting. Uh, uh, some studies have shown that people on metformin uh, live longer. And, and uh, not just because it manages their diabetes, but they, uh, they just, uh, there's some correlation between um, metformin and prolongation of life. I don't know if you heard, but uh, this drug that prolongs or uh, that uh, uh, diminishes aging just went through uh, some, a recent big trial and might uh, hit the market in the next 10 years, five, 10 years. Did you hear about that? Yeah. Just out of curiosity, totally off the wall question, but how many of you would like to live to say age 200? It, let's say you're reasonably healthy. If you, Reasonably healthy, 200. Yeah. yeah. What's that? Well, you kind of have to, right? Otherwise, you'd be in really bad shape. You know. Or just, uh, you know, find a harem of men to look after you. Okay. Um, yeah, so just uh, take a look at those meds on your own.